We are studying 1 Peter, and we're in the first chapter. So if you brought a Bible, you can open it. If not, I have the text up here on the screen. And I have thoroughly enjoyed studying this book with you. A book that really helps us through a time of suffering, a time of trial. And what a beautiful text that we've been looking at for the past several weeks. It's a doxology about God's saving grace, His forgiveness. And so before I read the text that we're going to consider today, I'm actually going to read the entire doxology again like I did last week. I just want to ask the question is, what do prophets, the Holy Spirit, preachers, angels, and believers hold in common? Prophets, the Holy Spirit, preachers, angels, and saints hold in common. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being much more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And now the text that we look at today. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Peter is reminding us that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how deprived you are of what you need, no matter your struggle, no matter your challenge, you always have the hope 
of your eternal salvation. And in that, in that future that is sure and guaranteed to you, you can be comforted. In our text, verse 10, as to this salvation, that's in the third section of this beautiful doxology. In verse 5, reference was made in the first section to the salvation that's ready to be revealed. And last week in the second section, we noted the expression, the salvation of your souls. I hope you understand and realize that you are not going to live in this body that you're struggling in forever. Do you understand that? This is a body that's been given to us for time, this time. And it's a body that's been impacted by sin and death. But it is not the eternal body that belonged to the saints of God. The day is coming when I'll get a brand new body. The day is coming where I'll not be troubled with the presence of sin. A salvation that comes to me from God, a salvation from the penalty of my sin that took place at the cross, a salvation that is working in my life to deliver me from the power of sin, but the day is coming when I'm going to be delivered from the presence of sin. Can you imagine that? I mean, I didn't get, past, I didn't get through this last week without sinning. Any of you have the same problem? Oh, none of you. Okay. Oh, a couple of you there in the back. A couple of my staff over here. Okay. My daughter, did you raise your hand too, honey? Yeah, she raised her thumb. Thumbs up. You know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Salvation. We hunger for it. We look for it. We long for it. This whole world is troubled by sin. The problem in this world is not money. It's the love of it. The problem in this world is sin. Sin in the lives of individuals. Sinning against our neighbor. That's the problem. And we need salvation. That's what the nation needs is salvation. And it is in this passage that we're going to discover the glories of this salvation. This salvation, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the merit of Christ alone. This salvation impacted the prophets, verse 10. This salvation was spoken of by the Spirit, verse 11, and also verse 12. This salvation was preached by the apostles, verse 12. 
this salvation angels long to look at. And this salvation four times in this text is for you. That's what the text says. And so the first thought that I want to bring to your attention from this third section of this doxology is that saving grace was the intense study of the prophets. The prophets prophesied of the grace that would come to you. My friend, as you open up the Holy Scriptures, you begin to read in the book of Genesis and you read all the way through the last book of the Bible, Malachi, you're going to discover from Moses to Malachi, all those Old Testament prophets who spoke for God had their gaze on salvation. That's the message of the Old Testament. God's saving grace in Christ. Some interesting words are used to describe these prophets. We're told that they began to search. They searched diligently, carefully. They made inquiring, seeking something. The two verbs, to search and to seek diligently, are pretty much synonymous. But it speaks of an intense investigation of sources. Sources, prophets that had prophesied before, books of the Bible that had been written before. You understand that the the prophets in the Old Testament had read Moses. They'd read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They'd read the history. And they were searching in the holy writings information about who the Savior would be and when would He come. There was a passionate search by all of these prophets. And the study, the subject of their study was grace, the grace that would come to you. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's undeserving blessing. Grace is God's forgiving goodness towards sinners. They know that salvation would come to humanity. And that's what their search was all about. They were reading of the grace. Some people think that the New Testament is an age of grace and the Old Testament was an age of law. Well, if you think that way, you need to have your thinking corrected. Doesn't the Bible say that Noah found what in the eyes of God? Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Abraham found grace in the eyes of God. Every human being who's been saved has been saved by the kind grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. We all deserve His judgment. And yet, He showed His favor. And that favor of God in saving people from the penalty of their sin and the power of their sin and ultimately the the presence of their sin, that saving grace is what they were diligently studying in the Hebrew Scriptures. Not only were they looking at books that were written by other prophets, 
but they were looking at their own writings. For these prophets had received their revelation, the text says, from the Holy Spirit. In verse 11, it's called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit who was sent by Christ, the Spirit that came to the earth at Pentecost in a tremendous way, harvesting men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation and the covenant people. These prophets were moved by the Spirit of God as they penned their prophecies, as they wrote their histories. It was the Spirit bearing them along. It was the Spirit that was within them, giving them this revelation. And this revelation specifically was about the grace that would come. What did they want to know? What did they want to know about the Savior? They wanted to know the person and the timing of all this. Look at verse 11. They were seeking to know as they were digging deeper in the Bible, looking at what the Spirit of God had given them, studying their own prophecy. What were they seeking? To know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted what? The suffering and the glory. Who will this person be? Who will be the seed of the woman? Who will be the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah? Who will be the seed of David? Not only were they concerned about the person as they would read in the Old Testament scriptures about the priest knowing that this person would be a priest and reading of the kings knowing that this person would be a king and reading the prophets knowing that this person would be a prophet greater than Moses but also that he would be a judge. So who is he? He's the seed of Shem. That's who he is. But they wanted some timing. When is this all going to take place? That's what they were concerned about. When will he come? And is there prophecy that gave them that information? I mean, is there prophecy in the Word of God that helps us today identify who the Savior would be? Was there prophecy that helped them identify who the Savior would be and when he would come? Can you think of any prophecy? I know that the Bible says in the fullness of time he would come. But oh, my friends, you look at Daniel chapter 9 and the exact year of the Messiah was given. The year of the Messiah's death to the day was given in the Holy Bible. Did you know that? A specific date in history with a certain number of years. And on the very day that Christ rode into Jerusalem on the final week of his life, proclaiming himself to be Savior, that date was given in Daniel's prophecy. And can you imagine Daniel opening up that revelation that had been given him by the Spirit of God, and he's searching, he's inquiring diligently, and he comes across this date specific date and he's reading these other prophets 
they knew that the time was almost there. Zechariah in the temple knew that the time was almost there. The Messiah is coming soon. He'll be on the scene soon. This one who will be the kind grace of God, this one who will bring salvation, is on his way. You see, these prophets longed to see the fulfillment of that prophecy. They longed to see Christ, and yet it would not take place in their lifetime. And verse 12 says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. All of this inquiry, all of this prophecy, all of these predictions were not just for their own edification. They were put in the book for us. For us. A benefit for all generations. When I stop and think about this first point, about the prophets, I can't help but think of this as an application. The Holy Spirit was in the prophets. That's what it says. Verse 11, the Spirit of Christ within them. This Spirit was in the prophets testifying A verb that means over and over again. The Spirit of God was continually giving more information to the prophets. We call it progressive revelation. Information after information given by the Spirit of God. And then these prophets opened up the other prophets and they searched and they asked questions And they inquired. And then they looked at the revelation that God had given them personally. And they began to search and inquire. Looking at all of these predictions given by the Spirit of God. And I stop and I think about this. Do you realize that the Bible is the only book in human history that has fulfilled prophecy in it? Do you understand that? That that is so significant. There's no other religious book in the history of humanity that has this. And that ought to give you and I great confidence that it's a revelation from God and that its message can be trusted. You see, these prophets were serving us. These prophets were ministering We get our word deacon from the same word that speaks of their ministry. They weren't just sitting in an ivory tower getting all of this information for themselves. The Spirit of God was putting it on pages. And now in the year 2020, I can pick up up a Bible that's an English translation in my own language. Those prophets served me. I'm benefited by their prophecy. I have a second thought I'd like to bring to you from this text, and that is this. This saving grace is the Holy Spirit's revelation of Christ. 
The Spirit is revealing Christ. You study all the references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and you'll find out there's about 80, 80 of them. You come to the New Testament, which is about a third of the size of the Old Testament, and there's 240 references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Three times the number in the New Testament. But as you go back in the Old Testament Scriptures and you look at all the references to the Holy Spirit, it is significant that the Holy Spirit is falling down and empowering certain kinds of people. You know who they were? Priests, prophets, kings, and judges. Why them? Because they prefigured Christ. The passion of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known. Did you know that? Not to make himself known, but to make Christ known. And that is why when you read about the tabernacle, the picture prophecy of Christ, those that were responsible for designing it were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's picture prophecy of Christ because the passion of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known. And he's rolling out information about Christ. And so you have all of these types and shadows in the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the house itself. You even have the Feast of the Lord. The world just came through the Day of Atonement, the fall feasts of the Lord. And when you study those feasts of the Lord in the Old Testament, you discover that springtime feasts are picture prophecy of the first coming of Christ. He came and died as the Passover lamb. He was in the grave as the unleavened one and came from the grave on first fruits. And then the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost and from Jewish people and the nations of the world, he's forming one body. And then there's a great gap between the spring feast and the fall feast and you come to the fall feast and what's the first fall feast? Anybody tell me? Feast of Trumpets. Because when he comes the second time, he's going to come with the sound of a trumpet. And then the ten days of mourning that separate the Feast of Trumpets from Yom Kippur are the ten days of mourning spoken of by Zechariah, where his own people, the Jewish community, look upon him whom they pierce, and there's going to be wailing and weeping and mourning to fulfill that. But thank God there's Yom Kippur. When the fountain of cleansing is opened in a day and all Israel is saved. And then that's followed by tabernacle, the millennial reign of Christ. When the Jewish community no longer separates or celebrates the fact that God redeemed them from Egypt. But the text says they're going to celebrate that he's redeemed them from all the nations of the world. That he has scattered them and he's going to bring them back to the land of Israel. All of that given by the Spirit because His passion is to make Christ known. He is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness who was sent by Christ, who empowered and predicted 
the suffering and the glory. You find the suffering of Christ in the Old Testament? That's what he was rolling out. That's what he was indicating. That's what he was picturing in all of those sacrifices. That is why you can pick up Psalm 22 in the very crucifixion scene of Christ. The very words that would come from the mouth of Christ given to David by the Spirit over a thousand years before Christ came. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Isaiah penning his servant songs and he comes to that great chapter that we know so well Chapter 53, the suffering servant, or Zechariah. And Zechariah writes that the servant will be pierced. And when Daniel not only gives us the date of the coming of Christ, but he says that the Messiah will be cut off. Life terminated. But then that next phrase, but not for himself, but for his people. Oh, the Holy Spirit was rolling out the suffering of Christ. But thank God it wasn't just the suffering of Christ. It was the what? The glories, verse 11, to follow. The sufferings is in the plural. The glories is in the plural too. He suffered in many ways. He was the sin bearer, but he carried our sorrows. He carried our diseases. He knew what it was like to be spit upon, mocked. People tried to kill him before the crucifixion. He suffered. But thank God, the Spirit of God predicted that there would be glories, plural. The first glory of Christ was his resurrection. And then his ascension. And him being seated at the right hand of God the Father. That is where he is this hour. But the day is coming when he'll return to this same earth, the earth he left nearly 2,000 years ago. But he'll come not with a sin offering, not to suffer, but to reign as the sovereign king over the entire globe. I can hardly wait. The world needs his rule. And no human being is going to be able to do for this world what needs to be done. You'll change politicians in this nation. You'll change rulers across the globe. But not a single individual will be able to bring peace to this old globe that's lasting. But the one who comes is known as the Prince of Peace. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's going to bear all the governance. He'll be Psalm 2. The king upon the holy Mount of Zion, he'll be Psalm 16, the one who raises from the dead. He'll be Psalm 41, deity who has a righteous scepter in his kingdom. He'll be Psalm 96, the judge of all the earth in righteousness. But who is he? Psalm 110, he is the Lord who's seated at the right hand of the Father. Yes, the prophets and the Holy Spirit are connected with the grace of God's salvation. 
That leads me to a third thought. Saving grace was the message of apostolic preaching. Look at verse 12. These things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you. He's talking about the preachers. In the beginning of this church age, these preachers who announced to you and preached the gospel. Two different words there. They were bringing the report of what God had done. They were announcing something that had been given to them. This was not a message they made up. This was a message given to them by the Spirit of God that came from God. It was a message about the work of God on the behalf of His people. And it was good news. Best news I've ever heard in my life. Is that the God of all creation reconciled me to Himself in Christ. I am now reconciled. God is not my enemy. I'm not an enemy of God. My sins have been forgiven. My debt has been paid. Heaven is my home. That's good news. And I don't have to struggle to earn this favor from God. It's unmerited. It's grace. There's nothing I could do. There's nothing you can do. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's grace. It's unmerited favor. And that is why I know that I am secure forever because it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been credited to me. It's on my account. And all of my unrighteousness was credited to him. It was on his account. And these preachers preached the gospel to you by what? The Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. So what's the application? The content of all preaching. The content of all preaching should be God's saving grace that delivers from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. And we preach that the penalty was paid by Christ on the cross. Rest in that, my friend. You burdened with your sin and your shame and your struggle and your guilt and your failure. Rest in the finished work of Christ. The penalty was paid. And those of you that have come to the Lord recognize the Spirit of God is changing you. There is an obedience that comes from this faith in Christ. It's a change where now you long to love God. Not that you love Him perfectly. You long to obey, not that you obey perfectly, but you're discovering that the power of this sin is diminishing in your life. There is power through the Spirit of God to say no to sin and yes to God. That is the content of preaching. But we've seen for the past several weeks that the, 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 that the presence of sin someday will be gone at the return of Christ. And so we preach that. The message has not changed And just as they needed the power of the Holy Spirit of God, even so do we. Even so do we. But you shall receive power after the what? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
Do you know what the greatest manifestation of the filling of the Holy Spirit is? The greatest manifestation of the filling of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, in the book of Acts, is not the ability to speak a language you don't understand. No. Every time someone in the book of Acts was filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what they were doing? They were preaching Christ. And they were testifying of Christ. Because the passion of the Holy Spirit is to make Christ known. I'll never forget the day. I wish I could have more days like it. When in Hendersonville, North Carolina, I left my office. Excuse me, I left my home and was driving to my office. And I passed a gas station every time I went to my office. And as I'm approaching this gas station, I see a man walking on the side of the road. And I felt prompted, didn't hear any voices, to pull my car over as I saw him starting to cross the street to the gas station. And I got out of my car, and I felt prompted by the Spirit of God to speak to him about Christ. And I began to speak to him about Christ. And he looked at me, and he said, You are the third person today to speak to me about Christ. Can you imagine how I felt? I went to my office, did some work. I used to go to McDonald's, okay? Don't go to McDonald's too much anymore, okay? It was right around the corner from my office, so I went there for lunch. My habit had been always to buy a newspaper and sit uninterrupted, relax, eat my lunch, and read the news. You didn't know you could relax reading the news, did you? But as I started to read my newspaper, a man came and sat in the booth right in front of me. It was a big old duffel bag. Put it down on the chair next to him. And once again, the Spirit of God prompted me to speak to this man about Christ. So I laid down my newspaper and I began to speak to him about Christ. And he said to me, Sir, I wanted to sit over there, but something prompted me to sit right here. The same day. And I went back to my office rejoicing. And I said, Lord, you don't mind if I read my newspaper now, right? As I began to read my newspaper, and the door to my office came a knock. And here was a man and a woman that had been in our service the Sunday before. They came to get marriage counseling. They wanted me to marry them. I didn't know them. My policy over the years has always been to marry people that I do know, people that are part of my membership, people that I've counseled. But you know what I had an opportunity to do for them? Is to introduce them. 
to the bridegroom. Three times that one day, an opportunity to share Christ. The Spirit wants to use us, and we need the Spirit of God to have the boldness to preach Christ in this generation. This crooked and perverse generation needs the gospel of God. It's the only thing that can rescue them. So yes, the prophets were consumed with God's gracious salvation. Yes, the Holy Spirit is consumed with God's gracious salvation. Yes, the preachers are consumed with God's glorious salvation, but they're not the only ones. For this text says in verse 12 that the angels, the angels are consumed with this too. Two words are used here to describe what things into which angels long to look. They long to look. That word long is, is the Greek word for lust and passion. The angels of glory have a passion that is like a strong lust that cannot be satisfied. They're looking at this grace of God that has come to humanity. God didn't redeem angels. You know that. A third of heaven will fall. Never to be redeemed. And when Christ came, he didn't take upon himself the form of an angel. He took upon himself our humanity. He came not to die in the stead of angels and ransom them. He came to die in our stead and ransom others. And they are so overwhelmed by this wisdom of God as they look and watching what God is doing. They were there at his birth. You remember, they rejoice when a sinner comes to Christ. They're marveling at this wisdom, how God could remain just and still justify the unjust. How can he do that? He did it in Christ. He did it through the obedience of Christ in life and in death. And what he did in Christ satisfied him. He remained just by dealing with us in a representative. And they're looking at this. They're lusting to know with passion. But then that word look into. It's the same word that was used when Peter and John ran to the tomb of Christ. And they stopped at the door, one of them. And he leaned over and looked in. With intensity. That's the word that's used here. They have a passion, and their passion is to know this gracious salvation. And their passion is to look at it intently. They want to know what this is all about, even though they'll never be redeemed. Isn't that a beautiful picture that's found on the Ark of the Covenant when you've got the cherubim angels? looking down on that box. What are they doing? It's a picture of this. It's a picture of their intense looking at this wisdom of God as they see the law of God that demands a righteous obedience and man can't do it, but Christ did. 
and they're watching that representative work of Christ with Aaron's rod that's placed next to the ark. A representative of God's choice will keep the law for you. And then they look at the seat of mercy, the seat of propitiation, where the blood was sprinkled on Yom Kippur. And they see that passive suffering obedience of Christ. They're looking at all of this. They're comprehending the wisdom of God in this glorious salvation. So yes, what do the prophets and the Holy Spirit and the preachers and the angels have in common? It's this message of saving grace. And that leads me to the final thought. Four times in this text, you find the word you. What about you? What about you? Have you experienced this gracious salvation? Have you experienced it? This grace that would come to you? Listen, the word of God and these prophets were not serving themselves, but you. This book is for you. These things which have now been announced to you, I'm just giving you a report. That's all I'm doing. I'm just teaching you. I'm reporting to you. I've preached the gospel to you. This good news. But what about you? What is your response? What is your response? Will you, with a repentant faith, trust Christ? Will you believe on Him? Could this be the day? Could this be the time? Could this be the hour where your doubts are swept away as you look to Christ and live? God's grace. Beginning with Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon, all 13 letters that he pens by the Spirit of God begin with grace. 